Okay, it is Sunday, September 26th. I'm Trent Linesmith, and this is the UFC 266 wrap-up edition of the Come On Now MMA pod. Start off with the outside-the-cage stuff that I found interesting, informative, whatever you want to call it. First thing is Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega did the MMA media a favor on Saturday night, and when you take this fight and his title fight against Max Holloway, I think we now have a something. I guess we could call the Mac. Uh, excuse me, called the Brian Ortega line, and the Brian Ortega line is now, in my mind, when you think about saying or writing uh, that a fighter left everything inside the cage, you now have to stop and think about their performance and compare it to the two title fight performances of Brian Ortega's UFC career and compare the performance you want to say was astounding that a fighter left everything inside the cage and if that performance does not compare to what Brian Ortega did against Max Holloway to what Brian Ortega did against Alexander Volkanovsky then you cannot and should not say that that fighter left everything in the cage because Brian Ortega in those two fights two fights that I mean, one was stopped, one should have been stopped, that he definitely gave everything he had, and there was nothing left to give, and everything he had was left inside that octagon on that night. Brian Ortega has set the bar, and if you can't say that a fight fighter le- uh, left more in the octagon than Ortega, then, then don't do it. Just say they had a good fight, but they didn't have a Brian Ortega-level fight. So, excellent, excellent gutsy performance do i wish that last night's fight would have been stopped early yeah but even with that wish because it didn't happen i'm not going to say that ortega didn't show all kinds of guts and all kinds of heart because he did Um, and kudos to that man because whatever he got paid it wasn't enough before the ufc 266 event i said that uh, having Joe Rogan, not having Joe Rogan there wouldn't be a big deal. And that proved to be true. Paul Felder did an admirable job uh, along with John Anik. And I can give or take Daniel Cormier. I would rather have Michael Bisbing and then Daniel Cormier. But for whatever reason, Cormier gets the gig over Bisping. Uh, but Joe Rogan in 2021 is not uh, something that is needed to enhance the UFC broadcast. We found that out on Saturday. I don't think anyone said, you know what I wish, you know what would have took this event over the top, having Joe Rogan in there screaming about how the fight was over and that he wasn't getting out of that. I just can't imagine how bad the Volkanovski Ortega call would have been or the Marias fight would have been with Joe Rogan there. Joe Rogan does no research anymore. He just parachutes in gets paid more than everybody else and scoots out and if I was uh, one of these people that's trying to move up in the company and try and move up as a UFC commentator and Joe Rogan was doing what he is doing uh, I would be uh, I would be pretty salty about it and I would be pretty resentful because like I've said Rogan does nothing other than show up and land nothing but yelling and a lot of the times, incorrect information to the broadcast. He's not an asset anymore. UFC doesn't need him. 
UFC should get rid of him. Um, Herb Dean and the doctor for the Brian Ortega fight go back and watch the between round interactions with those two and Ortega in at the end of at the end of round three. First of all, Ortega had to be helped to his stool, which terrible terrible sign. Um, then the doctor and Dean more or less just convinced themselves that Ortega was okay to go on. Uh, he struggled to answer the how many questions, how many how many fingers do I am I holding up? Uh, he struggled to walk toward the doctor. His gait was unsteady. He, he didn't seem to understand a lot of things. He 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 didn't pass the tests that, that Doctor and Dean were giving him on the first um, on the first try. And in my mind, you, you should only get one try to pass a cognitive test for a you for a fight. I think the Doctor and Dean both had the UFC in mind more than Ortega in mind, and that's why they allowed him to fight on. Now should have. I know people argue that Ortega had the ability to fight on, so he should have. But what changed in those in the in the in the fourth and fifth round? What changed? Nothing. He still lost. He still was gonna lose. So you gave him ten more minutes of damage. That's what that's what you gave by allowing him to fight on. The referee and the doctor are there to protect the fighter, not protect the fans not to give the UFC a full 25-minute fight. They're there to protect the fighter, and I think both Dean and the doctor in this case let uh, Ryan Ortega down. And I know Ortega would say that he should be allowed to go out on his shield, but that going out on your shield, uh, th that's just bullshit to me, and that thinking needs to, uh, to go far, far away. Conor McGregor... As Conor McGregor does show that he's a sad little man in the aftermath of UFC 266. Um, while he could have praised Alexander Volkanovsky for his performance, he did not. He dumped on him and, and said that he would beat him. Um, and Volkanovsky did the right thing. He said, well, come down to featherweight. And we know that's not going to happen. So it was just a case of Conor McGregor being Conor McGregor, not allowing someone to have their moment in the uh, media spotlight instead choosing to you know go after that person and make himself look dumb in the process of trying to push down on another fighter's achievements he then also dumped on Nate Diaz saying that Nick did better uh, as a striker than Nate but let's not forget Nate Diaz beat Conor McGregor once and almost beat him twice so this uh, says a lot more about Conor McGregor than it says about the, the folks he attacks. It shows he's a, a petty little man, a hateful little man, a shallow little man who has nothing to offer but but rottenness. Um, I mean, it's it's sad at, at this point. It, it was never funny, but it's now more along the lines of pathetic. And McGregor doesn't see it because no one tells him to shut up. And someone really, really needs to tell Conor McGregor to shut up and, you know, maybe step away from the uh, Twitter during fight nights. Or, you know, be nicer. But nope, not his style. On to the fights. Matthew Semmelsberger just crushed Martin Sano Jr. Uh, a lot of talk after the fight that Sano was only on the card because he's friends with the Diaz brothers. And getting knocked out in 15 seconds 
doesn't make me disbelieve those claims. Uh, but now Semmelsberger, only four, I think four fights into his UFC career, has two of the fastest knockouts in welterweight history, one at 15 seconds and one at 16 seconds. So for someone who is known as a grappler, he's not that bad of a striker. So very good performance from Semmelsberger. Uh, Nick Maximov, who is part of the uh, Diaz brothers team, trains with Nate Diaz, I think, um, only 23 years old, had a pretty good win on Saturday. The thing that I'm worried about with him is he used a lot of wrestling and grappling, but didn't use it in a way to score points according to the criteria. I think he needs to focus on his striking especially his ground striking, and do a little more grappling attacking, a little more offensive attacking. Otherwise, he might be someone who's going to be uh, having a lot of troubles with, uh, with the judging. He's a talented fighter for sure, but his, his reliance on that grappling and wrestling and not on the striking might end up getting him in trouble. But like I said, he's only 23. He has room to grow. I think He's got a good team around him, and I think he is someone definitely to watch. Speaking about someone to watch, Jalen Turner, uh, very, very good performance. Um, he beat Medic badly. What I was impressed most about with this fight was his reaction and his fight IQ. He hurt Medic to the body, to the body, and then that's where his attacks went. And then he used that attack to the body, to the head, to set up the choke. So it shows me that even though he's only 26, he has a good fight IQ. He knows how to make adjustments. He knows when to make adjustments. He has the tools to become a top-level fighter. Now, will that happen? I don't know. But everything I see in Turner here is that he is someone who is going to move up. And he's someone to watch. And will his ability... Hit a, hit a ceiling, I don't know, but as long as he has a high fight IQ and ability to make adjustments in fight, in round, between rounds, and has solid coaching, he will keep moving up. So very good performance from Jalen Turner, a very good uh, de- demonstration of his fight IQ and abilities inside the octagon, and I'm, I'm pretty high on him. Uh, Medic, first, uh, first adversity he's faced in the UFC he did not react well to it. He kind of, I won't say quit, but he kind of broke. And it's, I think, his first loss of his career. So it's a learning experience. But what I want to see him in his next fight is, show me what you learned in this loss. Show me what you learned when facing adversity. Show me that you can work through that. Um, uh, it's it's it it's not hard to forgive someone after their first loss. It gets progressively harder if they don't make adjustments to improve, and so that's what we're going to be looking for here. Christakis, he's uh, just rolling in the he- heavyweight division, and he is not someone who is going to look to move up the rankings slowly. Thirty-two years old, he has four knockout wins in the UFC. He got his fourth one uh, on Saturday against Shamil. Abdurakamov, Camille, we'll go with. Um, after the fight, he called out possibly for Stipe Miocic, Alexander Volkov, Marcin Tibera, 
or Curtis Blades. So he's someone who is very interested in moving up. Um, a Philly fighter, so he should. He's he's looked very good, and at only 32, 32 is a young young heavyweight. So he wants to move up quickly. He's gonna probably get that opportunity in the heavyweight division, and we'll see where he goes. Um, but a good performance from Dacus and someone definitely to watch in the heavyweight division. Um, Santos, Tully Santos, I did not like this fight. It 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 left me wondering how high Santos can go in the rankings. Where where Jalen Turner showed a good fight IQ and good coaching skills with his team, Santos did not show me that at all. She showed me quite the opposite. She fought to Roxanne Manaferi's strengths. She had a clear advantage on the feet. She and she kept going to the mat with Monteferi. It was a bad, bad decision to do that. Could she have gotten a stoppage on the feet? Maybe, but the odds of her getting a stoppage on the ground against Monteferi were very slim, and the odds of her getting caught by Monteferi on the ground were were more than uh, more than they should have been. So, if Santos wants to move up in the rankings, I think she needs to either change teams or get her team to be a little better at game planning because this was this was not a good performance as far as game planning goes. It showed me that Santos is not not very good with her fight IQ and that her team is not good at adjustments. So a talented fighter for sure, but need also to work with what you got there and that didn't happen in the Mata Ferry fight. Dan Hooker was... Uh, very impressive in beating Nazrat Habakasat. Terrible with these names. Um, what impressed me the most here was Hooker's offensive wrestling in the third round. And I think if he can add that to his talents when he moves up in the rankings, or sorry, when he fights a higher-ranked opponent, he is going to be back on the track to moving up the lightweight division. So he ended a two-fight losing skid. He looked good in doing so. He added offensive wrestling to his skill set. And he keeps implementing that. One, it'll extend his career, which always good. And two, it'll keep moving him up the rankings if he can add that and get keep getting wins. So a good uh, rebound from, I think, two losses here from Dan Hooker. And showed that he is still the developing fighter. So very... Very good performance, and I look forward to seeing him again as soon as possible. The Marlon Marais fight was just insane. Uh, Mirab Devashelli, maybe the toughest guy in the UFC right now. After that, he he was very close to going out, but he just bounced back and and took it to Marais, and he's a real threat now. Um, if if there was doubts before, those doubts should be erased. And former Ring of Combat champion, uh, the, the bantamweight division is stacked and exciting, and he just adds another exciting fighter to that, to that, to that group. So definitely someone to watch, and it's hard to imagine that he started his UFC career at 0-2 and might have been fighting for his uh, UFC contract when he beat Terry uh, Ware in 2018. So very good performance. Very good showing of his toughness, and 
Marlon Marais, I don't know where he goes. He's definitely a very talented fighter, but I don't think he's someone who's going to bounce back into title contendership. And so he might want to think about going elsewhere and getting you know some more wins, building back his confidence, and just trying to see what is it that is keeping him from staying consistent in the UFC because I think that's his problem. He gets fighters hurt, and then he just kind of fades. So he needs to figure that out and maybe figure that out outside the UFC because they're not UFC is not going to give him easy fights. Curtis Blades showed that if you don't have a wrestling game, you're not going to beat him. Um, he beat Rosenstruck here, and the reason he beat him is because Rosenstruck couldn't use anything but distance boxing. If you threw a kick, Blades would catch it and take you down. If you fought in close, Blades would get you in the clinch and take you down. And once you're down with Curtis Blades, you're not really uh, you're not going to get up unless you're you know something special on the ground or extremely strong. So Curtis Blades is is going to be a big problem in the UFC in the heavyweight division until someone or until a bunch of fighters decide that they need to get better at their wrestling and. I don't think that's going to happen because wrestling has never been the top priority of UFC heavyweights. So Curtis Blades is going to stick around. Curtis Blades is going to be a problem and someone's going to have to figure out that problem. But now no one is really able to do so except the very, very top of the UFC heavyweight division. Nick Diaz came back after a long break Came back on Saturday night to fight Robbie Lawler at UFC 266. It did not go Diaz's way. He looked okay. I mean, he was definitely slower. Definitely a little thicker in the body. But his boxing was still there. His ability to throw combinations and throw volume were still there. What might have been missing was just a little bit of, you know, fight time. And ring rust and age and maybe how he was living outside the cage in the last few years caught up with him. Maybe his dislike for his job and just being a MMA fighter when he really doesn't want to be an MMA fighter. Maybe all that caught up with him. I don't know. But the end result was that at uh, 44 seconds into the third round, he got hit with a big right. It broke open his nose. He seemed to want to engage Lawler on the mat. Lawler never being a grappler and always being the kind of guy who knows that his best chance at a win is in the striking department. Said, you know what? You need to stand up. We need to keep, you know, throwing hands. Diaz thought about it for a second, told referee Jason Hersock he was done, and the fight ended in a kind of weird way but what I want to say about that is that if you think that Nick Diaz quit you don't really understand fighting you don't really understand Nick Diaz and you know maybe your your whole idea of fighting and what it's about is a little skewed and so here's my opinion on what Nick Diaz did what Nick Diaz did was first of all was the right thing Nick Diaz has been fighting for a long time. His first professional fight was in 2001. And so he's been fighting for a long time. He's And he's been in some 
very memorable fights. Uh, so there's no question that Nick Diaz is, was, and will forever be a fighter. And so there's no there's no one that can question Nick Diaz's heart. If you do that, you're you you don't understand again. You don't understand the fight game. So what Nick Diaz did at the age of 38 was assess the situation, and the situation was, yeah, he could probably go, you know, make the third round, make till the end of the third round, definitely make it a little longer than he had, possibly make it to five rounds, but the situation was such that. What would that get him? Would it get him, you know, it gets him useless, quote-unquote, toughness points. He goes out on his proverbial shield, which is a joke uh, of a saying, because this isn't gladiator times, this is a professional sport. And it gets him a little, maybe, you know, and a couple attaboys, but it also gets him hurt, damaged, physical trauma, uh, mental trauma, just because of the, the, the way... Striking to the head affects the brain. Emotional trauma because he already does not want to fight for a living. He just knows that it's his job and he's good at his job. So there's a lot of trauma that's going to go into it if he goes on beyond this. And the end result's going to be the same in Nick Diaz's mind. He knows his only chance to win is a Hail Mary submission or knockout. And that that is unlikely. That's a bet that the odds are against him. He doesn't want to take that bet. He doesn't want to think that, you know, this one in a million chance, I'm going to get that one in a million chance. And so he rolls that all over in his head while uh, Jason Herzog is in front of him. And he says, you know what? I'm done. And good for him. Because that's the smart decision. If you know you're not the guy that night, if you know you're not going to win, if you know your only chance is a miracle, and you know that, the odds of that happening are slim to none. Well, you walk away. You walk away with less damage. You walk away with the ability maybe to fight another day if you want to. You walk away with the same loss you would have walked away with if you would have went the distance. You walk away with the same pay you you would have got if you went the distance. And there's no loss here except for in the eyes of some knuckleheads that might think that, you know what, you quit. But... I don't see it like that. I mean, in a simple kind of way, yeah, I could see. I could. I can say, uh, if you if you look at it in a vacuum, if you look at it at that moment and nothing before or after, or the career or the personality of Nick Diaz, and you say he quit, I still say you're wrong. But I can see that because it's you know, in a black and white way, sure. But this isn't a black and white sport, and. When you're considering your health, your future, and your brain and body in a sport where no one else is considering that, it's not the promoters, not the fans, not your opponent, you have to look out for yourself. And a lot of times, not even your corner, as we've seen many, many times, too many times, you have to look out for yourself. And so Nick Diaz made that made the uh, calculations in his head and said, I am done the idea of bravery. The idea of going out on my shield is stupid. And so I'll take the loss here and I'll move on. I know that Rick Robbie Lawler was the better man that night. I know I'm not going to beat him unless there's a miracle. Miracles don't happen. And I'm going to walk away. The right decision. The smart decision. And what I hope for out of anything, if, if, if Nick Diaz's career ends on this loss... 
I hope that what he did opens the door for other fighters, for other corners to look at the, the, the fight, this particular fight they're in, in a big picture kind of way. If you know you're going to lose, if you know your opponent's better that night, if you know your only hope is a miracle submission or a knockout, maybe you look at it and say, you know what? This is not worth the damage I'm going to take going forward. If I take more damage, what does it get me? I'm still going to get paid the same. Still going to lose. So I'm going to call it a night for myself right here, right now, and take less damage and be able to recover quicker and get back into the octagon quicker. And I'll have less damage on my body and on my brain because of that decision. So my hope is that if Nick Diaz calls it a career and this is his last fight, that you know fighters and corners and the UFC and promoters in general say, you know what, your future and your body are more important than anything in the game. And so look out for yourself and saying that you're not, you're just not, it's just not your night. That should be an acceptable thing. And if Nick Diaz can do that, one of the toughest fighters to ever step into the cage, if Nick Diaz can do that, well, then I can do that too without any kind of negative repercussions. So my hope is that, you know, this is a door that Nick Diaz opened. I, I hope that it happens. I hope that at least leads to people considering, you know, calling it a night when it's not their, when it's not their fight. I hope it happens. Nick Diaz did it. There's no shame in it. And so, you know, no one's looking out for these fighters but themselves. And so they need to look out for themselves a little more. Nick Diaz did the right thing. Nick Diaz did the smart thing. And I hope more fighters follow suit. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know if there's another fighter in the UFC right now who is better at just being a complete fighter, not putting themselves in bad positions, waiting for their opponents to put themselves in bad positions, and then pouncing and finishing fights. Um, she's maybe not the most exciting fighter, but technically skilled. She is 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 100% one of the better technical fighters in the UFC, and she just doesn't make mistakes. Is that maybe the gap in talent between her and the rest of the UFC women's flyweight division? Maybe, but that's not her problem. That's not her concern. Her concern is winning and beating who's put in front of her. And right now, in the 125-pound division, I don't think there's anyone out there that's going to give her uh, any amount of large headaches. Ryan Ortega. Ryan Ortega might never be a UFC champion, but... His two title fights have uh, established him as one of the toughest fighters to ever step inside the octagon. If he's one of those guys that never wins the title, so what? Uh, Brian Ortega is a is just tough beyond belief. Has the kind of self belief that I don't know where you get that. He's just a fighter. Uh, Brian Ortega, like the Diaz brothers, like Carlos Condit like Joseph Benavides, is just a fighter. Maybe never going to be a UFC champion, but always going to give a tough fight, always going to be someone you want to watch, always going to be near the top of the division. So I can't say enough uh, about what I saw from Brian Ortega here on Saturday night. Again, I don't think the fight should have went as long as it did, but that is not because of Ortega. That's just because the referees and the doctor and the corners should not have allowed or taken to take the amount of abuse that he did.
but he did. He survived it, and he'll uh, he'll recover. And I don't have any doubt that he's going to be sticking around at the top of the division for years to come. Alexander Volkanovsky might not be the champion of the UFC once in the featherweight division, but he is the champion they have, and he is no longer someone that that anyone can doubt. Beat Holloway, he beat Aldo, he beat Ortega here. And yeah, he was in some tough spots. Yeah, he almost lost, but he didn't. And that's the key. That's what makes a champion. You get in that spot where you, everything looks like it's going the wrong way. It looks like you're seconds away from losing, but you stick with it, you tough, tough it out, and you win. That's what Alexander Volkanovsky did. He, his cardio was insane. His ability to make adjustments, a little adjustments during the fight, fantastic. He's probably going to end up fighting Max Holloway again. And he's, I'm going to say he's probably going to beat him again. Is it going to be close? Sure. Because if you fight someone three times, you're going to get a, a good knowledge of what it takes to, to stick with that person. But sticking with them and beating them are two different things. And Volkanovski has beaten Holloway twice. Anyone that wants to doubt Volkanovski now is just doing so because they want to. There's really no justification to doubt him as a all-around great, great UFC champion. He is. So put some respect on Alexander Volkanovsky's name because he deserves it. Uh, really good champion, really good fighter. I think he's now on a 20-fight unbeaten streak. You don't get there by luck. Uh, so we'll see what happens next with him, but I think he will be a bigger favorite in his next title fight, and he will be someone who is going to get the respect of the UFC and the fans and heading into that fight. So he earned it, 100% earned it. Nothing given to Alexander Volkanovsky. So excellent performance by him. All in all, UFC 266 was a great fight card, I thought. It was just exciting for the most part from top to bottom. Not a lot of stinkers. Um, and look forward to the, the next one. So until uh, Saturday... And I will be back, you know, bef before then to talk about some other things. But uh, until, uh, until I'm here again, everyone stay safe.